然后到底当外放？啊。Good morning, everyone. Good morning. It's good to be here. And、uh, for those who I haven't met, who have been coming for a few weeks, so my name's Toby, and、uh, one of the oldest here. And、uh, but Jean and I, my lovely wife,、uh, have been spending time with the church in Lowestoft. Lovely to have lots of links as well with Lowestoft. Been got dinner with Josh's mum and dad actually coming up. I think next week or the week after.、Um, so there's wonderful sort of crossover between the churches here and here and、uh, with Lowestoft as well. And so greetings from the the church in Lowestoft. And、um, this morning we are carrying on with our series in the book of Acts. So if you have a Bible,、um, turn it on or open the page to Acts chapter twenty-one, and、uh, we'll get to that in a moment. <clears throat> so、uh, the book of Acts is this. If you don't know, is this this this.、Um, Story that, that Luke wrote, recording the first years of the the early church, really the first thirty years or so of the early church and the expansion and the growth. You know, today being Pentecost Sunday, from that moment at the beginning of the Book of Acts, you get this explosion of the church in Jerusalem and then spreading out through the Book of Acts as you go through the years following on from Jesus's death on the cross, where everything seemed like it had come to an end at that point, didn't it? When Jesus was crucified, after the disciples had spent three years, it looked like, well, that's it, over, finished, and done. And yet, Jesus didn't stay dead. Got the resurrection, and I realise if you're not a Christian, you might, that might raise questions with you. Come and have a chat afterwards. Got the resurrection of Jesus, who then appears to his disciples, who then commissions them to go, and says, "You're now to go into all of the nations." And Acts chapter one verse eight says that you're going to be witnesses. You're going to be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. In Colossians one verse six, a letter that the apostle Paul wrote says this. He talks about the gospel, the good news about Jesus. This way, he says, the gospel which has come to you is constantly bearing fruit and increasing in all the world. This gospel. More and more people are turning to follow Jesus, both from a Jewish background, but also from a Greek background. In the most unlikely of circumstances, the most unlikely of people, in the most unlikely of places, people are starting to follow this crucified God, and it's growing and it's spreading, increasing circles. As we go through the Book of Acts, we see this, and we pick up in Acts twenty-one. With Paul, who is going around telling people about Jesus, people become Christ followers. He helps establish the local community, these local churches. Then moves on to the next place, and then on the way back from places, he, he drops in to say hi and how are you doing, and strengthen them and spend some time with them. And Acts twenty-one is exactly that. And I've got a map up here. I think hopefully there should be a map come up here. So as I read through Acts twenty-one,、um, you can sort of listen out for some of the places. You can think about your summer holidays, maybe.、Um, <laughs> In the mid, so Acts twenty-one picks it up here in, in Miltus,、um, where the Ephesian elders in Acts chapter twenty have just come down from Ephesus down to Miltus. Anyone been to Ephesus? Yep, amazing. If you get the chance, go and visit Ephesus. Incredible.、Um, you can go and see the places that Paul would have walked and preached and so on. And、um, you can stand on the beach that he says goodbye to the、uh, Ephesian elders. You can stand on that beach, and、uh, it's there. It's in history. This is what this is about. So Acts chapter twenty-one. You can spot the places as we read it through.、Um, we read one to sixteen, I think. 
Okay. When we had parted from them, so the Ephesian elders, and had set sail, we ran a straight course to Kos, and the next day to Rhodes, and from there to Patera. Having found a ship crossing over to Phoenicia, we went aboard and set sail. When we came in sight of Cyprus, leaving it on the left, we kept sailing to Syria and landed at Tyre, for there the ship was to unload its cargo. After looking up the disciples, we stayed there seven days, and, and they kept telling Paul through the Spirit not to set foot in Jerusalem. When our days there were ended, we left and we started our journey, while they all, with wives and children, escorted us until we were out of the city. And after kneeling down on the beach and praying, we said farewell to one another. Then we went on board the ship and returned home again. And then when we had finished the voyage from Tyre, we arrived at Ptolemus, and after greeting the brethren, the brothers and sisters, we stayed there for a day. On the next day, we left and came to Caesarea, and entering the house of Philip, the evangelist, who was one of the seven, referring back to Acts chapter 6, and we stayed with him. Now this man had four unmarried daughters, who were prophetesses. And as we were staying there for some days, a prophet named Agabus, he's appeared before, came down from Judea. And coming to us, he took Paul's belt and bound his own feet and hands, and said, This is what the Holy Spirit says. In this way, the Jews at Jerusalem will bind the man who owns this belt and deliver him into the hands of the Gentiles. And when we heard this, we, as well as the local residents, began begging him not to go to Jerusalem. And then Paul answered, What are you doing, weeping and breaking my heart? For I'm ready not only to be bound, but even to die at Jerusalem for the name of the Lord Jesus. And since he would not be persuaded, we fell silent, remarking, Well, the will of the Lord be done. And after these days, we got ready, started on our way to Jerusalem, and some of the disciples from Caesarea also came with us up to Nason of Cyprus, a disciple of long standing with whom we were to lodge. Loads of places there. And maybe you've been to, who's been to some of those places? You visited them? Anyone? Not many. Well, I'm sure more of you have been to some of these places. I remember when Gene and I used to work on these yachts. I wasn't a Christian at the time, but we, we, we sailed around some of these places. I kind of wish I'd known the significance of it at the time. I remember being at um, St. Paul's Bay in, um, where was the shipwreck? Malta, in Malta, St. Paul's Bay in Malta. And at the time, I didn't kind of think why it was called St. Paul's Bay. <laughs> but it's the place where the shipwreck and Paul crawls up on the beach and so on. This place is there. there. You go visit them, see them, stand in those places, experience them. And so loads of places are mentioned. Paul is on the mission, the Great Commission. Go into all the world, make disciples, all nations. Go everywhere, into every village, every town, every city, every people group, every, every tongue, every tribe, and all the rest of it. This is the commission that Jesus gives his church. And we, if you're a Christian here, now, today, you're a recipient of that mission. The reason that we are here is because people went yeah? That's why we're here. Because people travelled. They went, they left their place, and they came here. And they started to tell people about Jesus. And the same call, and I know you know this, is on our lives, isn't it? If you're a Christ follower, the same call is on our lives. This is the commission. To go in mission and service, and it's been referenced already today, the sort of go in mission there. 
That's what we're called to do, both locally, but also beyond our borders. And this is very much in our DNA as kings. Like since I can remember you know, becoming a Christian and being part of the church and hearing stories from Goff and Angie and their travels and serving other churches and other places, and, and, it, and it brings something rich into a local church when we do that. Um, we've got, as I say, we've got a history of serving other places. I just want, okay, right, if you've been around a little while, just shout out names of churches that we've kind of served over the years, or places, go on. Go on, say it again. Copenhagen. Keep going. Hmm? China, yeah, not the whole of China, but it's basically. <laughs> Dubai, Romania, Serbia, Scotland, was that Scotland? Guadalajara, Mexico. Suffolk, from the Ipswich fan. <laughs> Don't hold it against him. Uganda, Kenya, Spain, huh? Barcelona, Holland. I mean, we could probably go on, in fact. Yeah? This is in our blood. And locally, we've been serving churches. You know, Goff and Angie spent time at the church in Yarmouth to strengthen them for a season. Gene and I, at the minute, are spending time down in Lowestoft with the church down there to help sort of strengthen there for a season. This is in our blood. This is who we are. We give ourselves to the mission that God has called us to. And there's a big vision before us. And um, we, Oh, yeah, there's like, you know, we've got the Norfolk, well, it's kind of Norfolk and Suffolk 2020, 20 places in the next 20 years. Well, at the minute, we're at five places in 2022, which is encouraging. Places we're working into. You've got the Broads, you've got Fakenham, you've got Watton, you've got Long Strand, and then our fourth location is, uh, we're pursuing there is Pouring Land. And then, yeah, put the next map up. This is relational mission, um, a map of the churches. Oh, can we get it big? There we go, there it is. Obviously, the world doesn't look like that. I've um, put the map of China <laughs> halfway there to show that we're stretching across now into North Korea, Japan, Taiwan. These are ch- Taiwan, can't pronounce that. Um, church plants there. Um, obviously, east of England, you can see numbers of churches there and church plants. The orange ones are church plants, um, so starting churches, and the uh, maroon ones are churches established there. And we've got dear friends in all of these places. We're friends on a mission. That's why we're called relational Mission, it's not rocket science, it's what we do, it's who we are. And this is the vision of relational mission as well, establishing five multiplying churches in each continent of the world by 2030, stimulating a fresh wave of church planting into UK cities, towns and villages, 100 by 2040, planting 20 churches in each of the other 50 European nations by 2050. Gene's word at the beginning is relevant here. <laughs> it takes faith to walk by faith to step into this. But this is what God's called us to together, and we as kings are to play, and we continue to play our part in this, to make disciples, to start churches, strengthen churches, from neighbours to nations, go in mission and service. And our desire is that all of us will be involved in this in some way, which takes me to my next point, which is not just the commission we're called to, but the community of the mission. When you read through these verses, I wonder what you noticed about the people that it talked about. Numbers of people were mentioned. I want to pull out a few things about this. First is this, that they were disciples of Jesus. Three times in these verses it calls them disciples. Disciple means a learner one who is following after another to become like them. 
That's what a learner is. And, and whether you, you, we're all disciples of someone. Even if you're here and you wouldn't call yourself a Christian, all of us are learning from others, imbibing what others say and their words and how to live life and how to do life well and all the rest of it and the meaning of life. All of us search for people to be discipled to, um, to be discipled from. That's what we do. That's why people have so many followers online and all the rest of it. We're looking for that. And, and discipleship of Je- to follow Jesus is to become like the one that you follow. That's what we do. That's what we're called to. And they were called disciples. One of them there is called a long-standing disciple in verse 16. I wonder what that meant to, uh, to, to Luke as he wrote those words. He's a long-standing disciple. Someone maybe who just served faithfully, sacrificially over many, many, many years. We can look around the room and we could say long-standing disciples are here. And so the first thing is they were disciples of Jesus. They were followers. They put their trust in Jesus. The second thing is that they were gifted differently. I encouraged this morning as well with, all, with um, Nikki's word she brought as well about diversity in that gifting there. I love it when someone does that, you know, when you're about to preach and someone gets up or two or three get up and say basically some of the things you're going to say, not knowing what you're going to preach on. And there's this beautiful difference of gifts, this diversity of gifting that is displayed in these verses. What gifts do you see displayed in this story? Feel free to shout some out. Prophecy. Excellent. Hospitality is there. Absolutely. They welcomed them in. Evangelism is there. You've got Philip the evangelist. Prayer is there. They kneel on the beach. They pray. Hmm? Concern. Yeah, love, deep love for one another. There's all sorts of gifts. There's generosity. You've got Paul himself being an apostle. Well, the Bible talks about that people are gifts to the church, a sent one. You've got all these different gifts that are displayed here. And then there's Luke. Now, Luke isn't kind of explicitly mentioned here, but he wrote it. And I kind of imagine Luke in the background, kind of watching what's going on. He's not at the front, he's not kind of at the forefront, but he's just there, and he's writing for his friend. He doesn't even know, I don't think, the impact that his words that he's writing down in those moments are going to have. He didn't know that 2,000 years later, a bloke called Toby is going to be quoting his words and reading from them in a place called Norwich that he'd never heard of in a place called England, which he'd probably never heard of and certainly never been to. But he's there, he's being faithful, recording down, writing down what is going on and putting it all together. And just think of the impact, because he did that. Aren't we grateful for Luke? Yeah. And again, we could list people in church life, behind the scenes, getting on with it. Just making things known, enabling things, the story to be told and heard. You know, doing PA, that's what what you're doing. You're enabling us to be able to communicate. People sharing stories. I I thought, you know, I thought, Tim, Tim, are you here? Yeah, does the word sheets every week. We we, we do a preach and we write down some stuff and put in a form that's hopefully helpful for life groups to go through. And Tim, faithfully, just behind the scenes, gets it kind of looking good and all the rest of it in a format that works. It's beautiful when the church family work together. And, and as Nikki said in that word, don't look at someone else and go, I'm not like them and I can't do that. Or what. No, be grateful for them 
and then lean into the gift God has given you to serve in the place God has given you. I love Marcus's phrase. We've got gifts and we've got gaps. And gaps are a good thing because they make room for others. And, and they make us more aware of our dependence on others. We need one another. I am so grateful for, as, we, as you and I are involved in serving other places, for others who are coming in and serving as well. And, and um, Tom and Jazz, I was going to turn behind, but you're, where are you now, Tom and Jazz? Tom, where are you? Wave. There you are, in front of me there. Tom and Jazz, you went down to lead worship in Beckles the other week. I've been working with the church there as well. With, you know, people know James and Jess and so on. And um, they were so blessed by your visit. They were so encouraged, genuinely. They really were. Um, and it's so good to see that happening. Um, I've said many times in other contexts, but Marcus has brought two very specific, helpful, prophetic words to both Beckles and to Lowestoft that have helped massively as we help the churches down there as well. Different gifts. I've got gaps. I've got so many gaps. And I'm so grateful for others' gifts. I really am. We need one another. And there's a beautiful thing here of working together. And we all have a part to play, whether that's in praying, as been mentioned. We pray into this mission we give into this mission financially. That's what enables us to do a lot of the stuff we're doing. There's a cost to it. We give. And we go as well, maybe short or long term as well. And just a little note here as well. You may have picked it up in verse... Um, uh, verse um, oh dear, I, th- I think I'm starting to need glasses. This is, I've been bragging about my 50-50 vision and hitting the age of 50 and not needing glasses. And now I think it's happening. Uh, <laughs> Here we go, verse 4, where it says, Through the Spirit, they kept telling Paul not to step foot in Jerusalem. And what does that mean? Because if you read back in Acts chapter 20, and it says in Acts chapter 20, verse 22, And now behold, Paul says this, Bound by the Spirit, I'm on my way to Jerusalem, not knowing what will happen to me there, except that, Paul says, The Holy Spirit solemnly testifies to me that in every city that bonds in other words, being arrested or whatever in prison and affliction await me. So Paul is clearly saying the Holy Spirit's really kind of already forewarned me. I know this is going to happen in every place I go, and especially as I head my way back to Jerusalem. And yet here we seem to have through the Spirit, they're telling Paul not to set foot in Jerusalem. Well, what does that mean? What is going on here? And also Agabus, this other prophet guy, he'd come down and said, hey, by the way, this is going to happen. He said, you will. The one whose belt this is, you're going to be bound when you go to Jerusalem. You will be bound. It's going to happen. Well, maybe what's going on is it, it, maybe there was this sense that they got that there was a warning here prophetically in these, these people and these Christians. They thought, no, there's a warning here. Don't go to Jerusalem, you know, because you're going to be bound. But maybe they kind of made that application of, therefore, don't go. It's going to be dangerous. You're going to get arrested. But please, don't go. One other writer says that it's, it's maybe by the Spirit there, meaning because of their deep love for Paul and their affection for Paul, that by the Spirit they're urging him, don't go. I mean, wouldn't you do that for someone? You know, let's say that we're going to send Stuart <laughs> somewhere. And there was a prophecy saying, you know, Stuart, by the way, when you get there, you're going to get put in prison. Now, this is reality for some Christians, many Christians across the world, isn't it? Wouldn't we maybe, 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 maybe don't go, I don't know. I feel, yeah, God might be saying this, but, but would we want him to go? Maybe that's going on here. There's the app they're applying because they're love. They're just sort of they're hearing the warning, but actually their application of it isn't quite in line with what God has already spoken to Paul about. And maybe they didn't want him to go because Philip, who's mentioned here, was a friend of Stephen. In that verse there, it said that part of the seven, and part of the seven in Acts chapter six was Stephen, 
And what happened to Philip's friend Stephen? He was martyred. He was killed for his faith. And maybe, maybe Philip's thinking, we know what happened to Paul. We know what happened to Stephen, my friend. Paul, I don't want you to go and have the same fate. But Paul goes anyway, and we'll pick up that in a minute. But they were disciples of Jesus. They were gifted differently. They were a diverse people. Not just gifting, but social, cultural, ethnic, different ages. We've got women and children here. We've got um, um, Philip with his four daughters. You've got diverse ethnicities here as well. You've got Paul who's a Jew, Luke who's a Greek, different nations, cultures. And that's, again, the point of church. This diverse group of people. Again, that came through with the prophetic as well, didn't it? But there's a beautiful diversity. The gospel brings people together around Jesus, focused on him, centered on him because of him. People who wouldn't normally know each other or sit in a room together or sit around a dinner table together are together because of what Jesus has done, because of the gospel. It's what the gospel does. I wonder how many different nationalities there are here. If, 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 if you're not British, just put your hand up. I reckon, what, what nations? Just shout a few nations out. South African? Nigeria? So I can't still, I'm going deaf as well, I think, in my old age. Crete? Ukraine. Ukraine. Welcome. Absolutely. There were some more hands. Zimbabwe. And there's more as well here, people who are not here this week that I know about as well. There's this beautiful thing of the nations together, and it's displaying something of the end game. And you look in Revelation, people from every tribe, every tongue together worshipping. And again, that's come through. Hester has talked about that this morning, hasn't she? Yeah? Specifically, she said that. And then we come on to the next bit. They were in these deep relationships, this diversity. And Nikki's word as well about diverse gift, diverse people together. You see how... When you gather together, God kind of ties this stuff together. They were in deep relationships. They were different, they were diverse, yet they were in deep unity. And actually, Hester, I think you mentioned unity specifically as well. Ephesians 4 verse 1 says, Make every effort to maintain the unity of the Spirit. There's this beautiful unity that God gives us, but which we're to keep maintaining, as it were, keep working towards in our relationships with one another. Where there is disunity, the Bible says really clearly, go and sort it out with that person. Go and have a conversation with them. Ask for forgiveness. Give forgiveness, whatever is needed. But restore those relationships because they are vital to the health of the church, aren't they? And that's why we strive to maintain it. That's why we give ourselves to that. So let's keep doing that as well. And just to say, if you're here and you feel, do you know what, I feel I'm called to go to the other nation, another place, to start a church, to strengthen, to be part of a team or something like that, I'm called to go. I think what the Scriptures would encourage you to do is get deeply, deeply, deeply embedded in a local setting. In serving and in relationships with one another as well. Because when you start to read here about when Paul says goodbye to people, he spent three years in Ephesus. And then it uses this word, it says that they tore themselves away. I've got a bit of Velcro here, and uh, this sort of image came to mind really, was like, our relationships are to be like that. Velcro together, even if we're called to go out somewhere in the future. And so when you come to tear yourself away, it's not actually easy. Paul didn't find it easy to leave, which is why there were tears is why there was weeping 
because they deeply, deeply loved one another. This is not a superficial deal. These are deep, real relationships. And it's wonderful. Kings has this, these deep relationships that have been going on over decades through all sorts of different seasons in life, walking with one another. There were deep relationships. That's why our life groups are so important. Running partners are important. Church is a beautiful family. And I remember, but when people go, it's painful, isn't it? I remember you had, had Simone, Valter and Simone were here the other week, weren't they? I remember them, they were serving in Mile Cross when we were there, um, doing the kids' work and all the rest of it. And then I remember when they left. And it's not easy. And when James and Jess were called on to go and be part of Beckles, it wasn't easy. It's painful, which takes me to the next bit as well, which is the cost of the mission. When people move on, it is costly. Jean and I miss being here on Sundays with you guys. We miss being around. It's wonderful to be down in Lowestoft. But we do miss being here. It's costly. It's painful. And when you read the Gospels and when you read the book of Acts and you read through the letters that Paul and Peter and others wrote, you see along the path of mission, and, and if we go this way and we keep doing what we're doing, there's going to be opportunities and challenges. There's going to be successes and there's going to be disappointments. There's going to be fruitfulness and there's going to be failures. There's going to be joys and there's going to be suffering. That is what we see. That is the reality of mission. That's the reality of what we see here. It's the reality of what God has called us to. Paul says, I'm ready to be bound and even to die. Jesus said, the way is hard that you will suffer if you follow me. And when you read through the letters that Paul writes, in Philippians chapter 2, verse 29, he talks about Epaphroditus. And he says about him, he came close to death for the work of Christ, risking his life. That's the cost of mission right there. He came close to death, risking his life. Paul says of um, Prisca and Aquila in Romans chapter 16, verse 3 and 4, he says of this couple, who for my life risked their own necks. They put their own necks on the line for Paul's. This married couple... This is the mission. This is the cost of the mission. There's this beautiful community, but there's a cost to it as well. And the cross is what shaped their call and their mission together. The words of Jesus, take up your cross and follow me. And in Luke's gospel, he says that as a disciple, his disciples, this is the hallmark, is, is, is daily, take up your cross and follow me. Take up your cross daily and follow me. There's an everyday aspect to it. And there's an all-day aspect to it as well, being shaped by the cross, what Jesus has done for us, and living in that way. That's the Christian life. It is costly. It's costly financially. <laughs> it's costly relationally. It's costly in all sorts of other ways. And for many, many people today following Jesus, many people through the book of Acts, but today, both their livelihoods and their lives are on the line for following Jesus. And we may not have that cost here, but we're still called to take up our cross and follow him. And you may be facing all sorts of things of being a Christian, maybe in the workplace, and maybe in family, maybe with friends. There's a cost to it in following Jesus, in carrying that name, as it were, into the world. But the mission is what God's called us to. I wonder if we could stand, please, and the worship band can come back up.
I just want to read these. Oops. Where is it? There's a um, this excellent book called The Water from a Deep Well. I recommend it many times. I know some have read it. If you want to get a good grasp of kind of church history, but also um, sort of what you can learn from all these different kind of movements through history of different uh, streams of Christianity, as it were, and how you apply them to your own life and grow and so on. It's absolutely brilliant. And the first chapter is on martyrdom, though. And uh, Gerald Sitzer writes this. He says, We will never understand Christian spirituality, what it is and what makes it unique, unless we grasp the significance of martyrdom. The early Christians died because they confessed Jesus Christ as Lord. His lordship challenged all other ultimate claims on their lives, wealth, status, power, and Rome itself. They believed that Jesus tolerates no rivals, and when forced to choose, they chose to follow Jesus, no matter what the price. The early martyrs paid an extreme price their very lives. But the value of their example is not in the martyrdom itself, however noble and courageous, but in their commitment to Christ's lordship. That we might not have to die for Christ is irrelevant. How we live for Christ is the real issue. I think that's pretty brilliant. How we live for Christ is the real issue. So let's pray. And I want to just, you know, ask you to, if you're a Jesus follower, um, I'll ask you to consider Jean's word that she brought earlier. We didn't talk about this this morning. We do talk, but we didn't talk about that. <laughs> um, but she talked about faith. And it is going to take faith to move forward, to continue to move forward in the way that we have been doing as a church, but all that God's called us to in the future as well, in the days ahead. It's going to take faith. And God calls all of us to be involved in that, praying, giving, going. Some of you it will be going. But God calls all of us to be part of it. And I just want to pray for us, really, just that you'd have that faith, because God calls us to walk by faith and not by sight, yeah? Well, let's pray. Lord, I do, do ask for that. <laughs> and, and faith comes by, well, it's not by trying to conjure up faith in our hearts. We've got to have more faith but by fixing our eyes on you, by knowing who you are, Jesus, and by knowing more of you, because you're the one we have our faith in, and you're the one that we ultimately follow. Um, but I do pray for that, Father. I pray for that gift of faith to take steps of faith wherever we are in the mission that you've called us on together, both locally in this city, but also beyond in this nation and to the other nations as well. And I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would be just like you did with Paul, really. You put some things on his heart. He was like, well, I know I've got to do this. I know it's costly, but I know I've got to go and do this. And I pray that, Lord, that kind of faith, that you'd speak to us. Speak to us together, Lord. Speak to people individually about what you've called them to do. And we pray for people to continue to gather, to grow, and to go in mission and service from kings. In your precious name, amen.